there'll be someone who says, well, you know, planners do plans and they think that's the end. But actually, change is the end. I'm John Lewis, and you're listening to 360 Degree City, a podcast where we talk to people who are working to make cities better. Our hope is that after each episode, you'll start to see your own city from a slightly different angle. We've released over 40 episodes of 360 Degree City, covering a range of topics from cycling to public art to urban agriculture and much, much more. While we've explored issues and topics related to cities, we thought it might be helpful to spend some time focusing on the different actors that impact how we build our cities. So we've developed a multi-part series where I talk to different kinds of city builders about what they do, why they do it, and what unique approaches and challenges they represent. Our hope is that by the end of the series, you'll have some new perspectives on these actors and how to work with them, whether you're a seasoned city builder yourself or just starting to explore the complexity of the places we live. This week's episode is about the planner. Larry Beasley makes a return to the podcast to discuss what city planning is, the best of the best that planners can bring to city building, and problematic practices of the profession. Let's dive in. Uh, My name is Larry Beasley. I'm a planner and urban designer. I uh, was for many years in government, the chief planner of Vancouver for many years. Uh, Since I left government in 2006, I've been planning and designing cities all over the world. I'm also a professor at the University of British Columbia School of Community and Regional Planning. So for those listeners that are out there that don't, uh, aren't really familiar with city planning, can you describe kind of the highlights of what city planning is? Well, city planning is many things, <laughs> um, but let me just give you a sense. You know, as a, as a species, we have been for the last 500 years increasingly moving into living in cities. We live in close settlements together. Those have become very complex. Uh, starting about 150 years ago, we started worrying about just the accidental quality of that, that there were a lot of uh, victims. Uh, There were a lot of people that were uh, not well served by coming together in settlements. And so uh, a a group of people in several parts of the world started thinking about being more deliberate about cities. So that means a couple of things. Number one, designing the city so that it does what it needs to do. Number two, developing the uh, laws and, and uh, protocols and organizations, institutions through which we as people do come together and, and uh, live close together and therefore enjoy the economy and the society and everything of that. Uh, and managing, not only setting those things up, but managing those on a day-to-day basis. And then thirdly, reaching out constantly to people to keep the ideas, the vision of the city fresh, to keep it contemporary to uh, a place and a people, because people want to settle differently in different places. Mm -hmm. Uh, They want to express themselves differently. And it's very important that you reach out and let people tell you what they want their city to be. So uh, we do that. We conjure up images and dreams and we do designs of cities. Then we put all that into the law. Uh, Then we manage as people want to make change. They want to build buildings. They want to do other things. We we manage that so that it meets public objectives as well as private objectives. 
And then we offer a public realm, a public environment, public facilities, amenities that go along with that for the complete experience of uh, comfortable and hopefully happy living in cities. Uh, I'm going to just take that and just have it on my phone at all times. So when I'm at a (laughs) cocktail party and people ask what it is I do, I'll just have them listen to what you just said. That's one of the best summaries of of our profession that I've heard. Thank you. (laughs) Um, So it's it's a really concise, articulate description. Um, So when we think about... Uh, you know, as, as part of this kind of mini series that we're doing, we're, we're digging into um, what these various uh, contributors to city building bring. Um, so in your view, what what is kind of the best of the best that planners bring that's unique to the, that particular profession in, in terms of what they contribute to the endeavor of city building? Well, I would say that there are two things they're they're kind of diametrically opposite but they come together in a very you know uh, dialectical way and that is on the one hand that we have in our own consciousness from our education our experience our engagement with lots of people we have a vision of what makes a great city that we that we understand what works and doesn't work that we understand what needs to happen for cities to be Uh, in sync with their environment and to be socially responsible and all those things. On the other hand, almost diametrically opposite, we have to have an ability without bias to listen to human beings and and people living in cities and determine from our conversations with them in all kinds of ways what they want their city to be. And then the synthesis of that, when you bring best ideas that you have from 100% of your time thinking and learning about cities, along with what people's hopes and dreams are for themselves and their families, when you bring that together, you have the chance of creating a place that will be um, successful on highly technical terms, economy, environment, uh, social responsibility, but that also will be fulfilling and uh, joyful for people to live in and people will want to live in. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that makes that, that opposition is one of the things that makes uh, planning such an interesting and challenging and frustrating at times profession is um, just trying to reconcile the idea of expertise. And I think um, oftentimes expertise just broadly as we think of it, in, in society is you have the knowledge and therefore you should um, be able to make decisions and, and those kinds of things. But you, there's a, there's a unique kind of humility I think that's required for not just planners, but everybody in the city building profession to, to be able to listen and absorb um, insights from, from the community. Um, you know, an, an example of that would be last night we were, we were at an open house um, helping facilitate a, a project, a redevelopment of an affordable housing project and so it's been there for a long time and we had really great conversations with the neighbors that just want a good development for those folks that are going to live in that development as well as themselves and just little insights about the the how kids are always busting open the fence because it's the most direct path to school uh you know and to be able to keep your ears open and kind of that idea of the beginner's mind uh, I think is so vital. So what can you describe for folks that, that haven't had to reconcile those two things? Um, what's, what are some of the secret ingredients or thought processes about how to, to, to hold those two things in, in, in 
constructive tension of we, I have to, I have a certain set of expertise based on education and experience, but I also have to hold an open mind for insights from other people. Can you, can you describe what, what that is like to, to navigate that complexity? Yeah. You know, um, there's a big bias that has to be managed when you are trying to reconcile this. And the bias is that we spend years learning about cities. We read, we travel, we talk. We are the most talkative people on the planet. We, <laughs> we have a consciousness and we're confident about that consciousness uh, of cities. So that bias is strong. And unfortunately, it often leads people to uh, uh, closing their consciousness to other ways of looking at cities, other needs. Uh, it also leads people to forget that our own personal experience of the city is only one kind of experience. And, right. and, it's, and it's a pretty privileged kind of experience. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and it even leads us often into language and, uh, and body language and et cetera, et cetera, that, that um, is inaccessible to average people. And so, uh, as a planner, I think one has to very, very deliberately um, open your consciousness, even your heart, to um, to just inquiry, to to just uh, uh, listening. Now, there is a technical reason why that's a good idea for the technical <laughs> bias that we have, and that is, and I remember as a neighborhood planner, this was always important to me. I could never know the details of a place as well as the people who inhabit the place, who live there, who work mm -hmm. there, stay there, who have their families there. Uh, I always use the case of, uh, you know, breaking down the fence because it was a fast way to school. Uh, I always use a case when I was a neighborhood planner of something called the Bunny Trail. And uh, it was, we were trying to do a neighborhood plan and we were trying to have a kind of a continuity of not just uh, people moving around, children and all that moving around, but also began to think about environmental movements and all that. And uh, it was the little kids that said, come on, I was going to show you this thing where all the bunnies all go through from one cul-de-sac to another. Uh, and, uh, you know, we were probably going to remove that had we not hmm. been careful and had we not just, just frankly, shut up and listen. <laughs> and, find, and also we have to find ways to communicate, for example, with children. You can't really communicate in, in language very much. So what we often do is we'll use photographs. We'll give them uh, cameras, little, you know, uh, little, those little uh, disposable cameras. And we'll yeah. have them take pictures and do collages of what they hate and what they like and, and have fun with them. And then we can interpret those things. And there are thousands of techniques that we use. The techniques help us. But under the techniques, there must be an attitude of open-mindedness and, and I would say humility that, uh, that our expertise is only conceptual, that we can't bring it to ground unless we understand very, very specifically what people are interested in. And secondly, that our expertise is very um, from our own experience and cities are about many kinds of experiences. So we can't know the experience of a homeless person, uh, a mentally ill person, uh, a child, uh, you know, and mm -hmm. so 
find ways to learn about that. Uh, and then when you, you know, when I started working around the world and moving to completely different cultures, you realize just how uh, diverse and extraordinary the concepts of settlement are yeah. uh, among among people and the way that people want to live and the way that people want to communicate. Uh, vivid for me and an easy illustration was to move into Islamic culture and uh, see uh, a completely different concept of cities, the way that people want to move around in the cities, senses of privacy and publicness, uh, what what is seen as the public environment with with or without private responsibility, what's seen as private space, treasured private space, all those kind of issues, uh, as well as uh, artistic traditions, aesthetic traditions, social traditions, poet, poetry, all the, you know, arts, literature, and that, that comes into the city. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that, that's, that's really helpful. And I think the, you know, the idea of humility in one regard, and it's, it's very closely related, but empathy on on another and to uh to understand there <clears throat> there's there's a, a book that's been out quite a while now it's called made to stick and it's about how to effectively communicate um by chip and dan heath and it talks about this idea of the curse of knowledge and how a lot it, it happens to every human that you, once you acquire and use a certain amount of knowledge you can't remember what it was like to not have it And so the, the example that they use, which I've, I've used in classrooms before is, is if you have a song in your head and I, I knock on the table, the beat, I can hear it as clear as day, but you don't know what the hell I'm I'm talking about. And so I think professionally, that's what planners and all city builders uh, have to deal with, particularly because it requires this uh, idea of um, understanding expertise and we've actually started using that frame of um we're not just we're not engaging the community because it's a checklist kind of thing these are experiential experts they're place experts and so just even again to your point of language to reframe it so we're all experts in certain ways and we have to partner and work together to get something that that works Right. For example, uh, what we often do now, uh, particularly if we're dealing with people from different socioeconomic backgrounds or or uh, different cultural backgrounds, is we try not to engage in language. We try to engage in pictures. Mm-hmm. So we design, we draw, we we uh, we get people to what we what we've discovered is that. Um, well-to-do people, or I would say privileged people in society, by definition, are armed with an amazing command of language right. and argument right. and, and, and information. Um, and uh, up against that, someone who doesn't have any of those advantages is so uh, disarmed. Mm-hmm. But if we all draw, and none of us know how, we learn it as we do it. We do it together. We get beyond the uh, uh, what I would call positions to interest, but we even get beyond that to, you know, kind of sharing the human condition. And that opens up bridges for uh, for us to learn from one another a lot. Now, planners do have to take that one step further. And this is where we are different from others. Our job then, having done that, is we have to synthesize all that. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to. It, 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 we are not just conveners. 
we do not just convene and whatever anyone says, well, that's what we'll do. Mm-hmm. So we're always synthesizing what we're hearing with what are known to be things that work and don't work in cities. And as much as we can, we're trying to teach people about that. We're trying to evolve our own understanding from moment to moment. And then at some point, we have to put it together, and then it has to, it has to, to uh, satisfy the test. And the test is, will this be the kind of city that will work for people, that will work for the environment, that will be economic, uh, be competitive, you know, all the, the uh, frame of sustainability that we all know so well? And also, will it speak right at the depths of your heart and your soul to individual people of all kinds? And until you've got that test right and you double check it with people and you play with it, you can't be sure. Mm-hmm. And you shouldn't be sure. Yeah. And unfortunately, as technocrats, we like to be sure. <laughs> so we have to work on that. Yeah, for sure. So, that, so that's perhaps a, a good a good segue into um, uh, the the dark side, the negative side. So everything has, uh, you know, every profession that we're going to explore uh, through this series is, <clears throat> you know, we want to understand, you know, kind of when, when things don't go as they should um, or ha- bad habits, if you will, or those kinds of things. Could you describe what you think are some of the, the most uh, problematic pieces that planning can bring to a city, city building process? One of the things that I've, that constantly worries me is that we tend as planners to want to translate whatever we're engaged with into our fairly narrow toolkit. Mm -hmm. And so I'll have citizens talk to me and say, Oh, um, uh, Oh, I can't talk to the planner because everything I talk about, he or she wants to uh, turn into a plan. Hmm. And, uh, and I don't, that's not what I'm interested in. I, you know, or, or there'll be someone who says, well, you know, planners do plans and they think that's the end. But actually change is the end. Yeah. Sometimes it has nothing to do with plans. It's, it's about an institutional uh, 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 invention or it's about a new way of people coming together or, you know, it's something else. And um so one of the problems that I find in, in, our, in our profession right now is that we get so wrapped up in the tools that we have. And remember that those tools are enabled by laws. Mm-hmm. So if what we need to do is a bit outside the law, then we feel, uh, well, we, we really can't do that. Mm-hmm. And, and I've always felt that a planner should go into any circumstance with the intention of Understanding, addressing uh, issues, coming to solutions, almost regardless of what it takes. And yes, sometimes it's plans. Mm -hmm. Because as we've narrowed our consciousness of these tools, we've marginalized ourselves from many people who don't value these tools. Right. And I think that's a big danger in the profession. The second danger I find in the profession, and it's a thing that we all do a bit, is that we're risk averse. Um, why? Because we're middle class people, by and large. Mm-hmm. 
we uh, we operationalize that in our personal lives with our families, and we have our children, and we have all those responsibilities, and uh, and we live and work within a hot, contested, brutal political democracy. Mm-hmm. Both of those things can cause bruising. So we become we can become risk averse, and that means that we. We sometimes don't have the courage to do the things that we have to do and say the things we have to say. Mm. Um, I always uh, went by a proposition, which fortunately my partner and my family uh, were agreeable with, which was we organized our life so I could always be fired. (laughs) If that wasn't the case, then I would be prone not to tell the truth. Mm -hmm. And so... And sometimes it's come very close, and sometimes I have been, uh, you know, not too often. But um, but it gives you a, a liberation to be able to be more courageous, and and cur- courage is a part of this profession. That's what's so amazing about this profession. We, you can have a short career of forty years, fifty years, and change the world. Hmm. Mm-hmm. But you have to have courage to do that. It's not just about managing the status quo. And that's why sometimes people associate us with the status quo. It's yeah. not solving the problems. Yeah, for sure. And I, th- I think that as you were describing that, uh, uh, something occurred to me that the the idea of um, sort of the, the rules and the laws as being kind of a, a, a backbone of what a lot of planners do, and then the, uh, the really, really difficult job of you know, you, you, like you say, there's bruising planners get, get, get it from all sides. Um, that, that it's sort of this, this uh, can be a bit of a death spiral. Uh, if, if, if it's allowed to be that there's this retreat back to the rules. So, yeah. so if I, if I'm getting challenged on all fronts, I'm going to go back to the thing that I am, I know most, I'm most comfortable with, yeah. which further isolates and yeah. and marginalizes the impact that these folks can have, and I think that's that's one of the things I've I've observed, and um, that that was really helpful to kind of crystallize it in my own thinking, um, because know, it's, it's, it's yeah, it's, we are people who make laws, mm-hmm. and so uh, we we have to enjoy that we don't need to be constrained by them if the laws are no longer serving the needs. You know, in a good democracy, yeah. laws are the way we codify. Yeah. To serve all of our collective needs. And that's a very good thing. Yeah. But they need to change and they need to evolve with the times and all that. But there's a second piece, which is even more, you know, methodological in a way. And that is um, the language and the um, way we express ourselves within that context makes it very hard to be creative. Uh, you know, everything you say, someone said, well, no, no, that's not allowed according to this law or that's this and something else. And, and, and once people, you're working with people and you've said three times, no, that's not allowed. And they just stop talking to you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, go talk to someone else. I'll go talk to someone who might be allowed, might allow. Yeah. Something, right. And I've, I've found it often. I, I was mm-hmm. recently working in a big city with a city manager who said, it wasn't in Canada, who said, I can't talk to my planner. <laughs> she never gets anything done. <clears throat> hmm. I can't even understand what she's saying. Hmm. And, and it's always so constrained 
that I can't invent. I can't experiment. I can't try things. And um, that was an eye-opener for me, that we yeah. can't beat these people. We have to be the other side. Mm-hmm. We have to be enablers of, uh, of especially with uh, the challenge we all face, particularly the young generation faces with, you know, repositioning our cities to be sustainable with the environment and, you know, mm-hmm. so responsible. We can't, uh, that can't be us. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think that there's, there seems to be two, two additional layers to it. The first is um, you should know your, your constraints so well that you can figure out solutions within that sandbox. And then the other is, and this is, this is a space where in our, you know, some of our current policy work that we're actively talking with our, our municipal um, partners with of what are the things that you can actually stay silent on? So that's, that's something with, with the idea of, of laws and and bylaws and rules as the core of the profession Um, that always, you know, like if, if whatever that saying is, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, you can actually not say anything and just get out of the way. So if you, if you, if you create five, five rules on something that might not be as effective as just having no rules and letting it happen as it will. (laughs) Well, what we often do is we try to create a playground of freedom before we all have to get into the straitjacket. Because <laughs> so, at some point, we do have to yeah. write the rules and we have yeah, to for sure. manage them and all that. So I'll give you an example. When we were designing the North Shore of False Creek in Vancouver, a huge development, you know, 15,000 people, we needed to change the whole city with this development. And uh, to the extent that we tried to stay within the parameters of doing a plan with all the details and legal, you know, uh, um, securities and everything we had to do, we, we couldn't talk. We couldn't think. So we create. we said, why don't we just do a dream document? Why don't we just have, why don't we just dream? And we, ca- we called them a policy statement ultimately. But what it was, we could go out with the community and just say, Let's just say what we'd love and what we'd hate here. Uh, you know, anything goes. Let's talk. And and no one felt constrained. And then we didn't try to put it in the straitjacket of the law yet. We would instead we said, well, let's just write it down the best we can understand it here. Mm-hmm. We've heard just the best we can. And each one was different because they had different personalities, et cetera, et cetera. But what we realized is that then we gelled ideas, new ideas. And a lot of people wanted to cluster around those ideas because they could feel them, they could understand them. They didn't know how they would be, you know, implemented or made legal or, you know, all of that. And then, of course, slowly, we move from that freedom where uh, of invention mm-hmm. to the place where you had to codify it and put the laws together and, and then ultimately manage all that. But it's often that dream phase that we as planners don't do. Right. And, we stop, and often we're not given money to do. Right. Mm-hmm. Said, oh, my God, just do a plan. Um, and, you know, that that disables us. Yeah, for sure. And I th- that's that's an important point for, uh, to <clears throat> to raise, because I think it's it seems then that they're that some of the biggest risks are losing the bookends. So there's there's the visionary dreaming part and then to really do that well and thoughtfully and then <clears throat> working through how to codify that 
Yeah. And then the other piece is actually understanding that the, the whole purpose of this whole thing is to create positive change. Yeah. Um, instead of just, we have a document. I had a, a very memorable, frustrating conversation with a colleague a couple of years ago when we were talking about a, a, a plan and I, I kept asking, you know, I was, I was pushing for, you know, metrics and indicators so we could understand what, what change is happening and what would that be? And there's a lot of pushback. And then, so I, I just asked the fundamental question. I said, okay, what's the plan for then? And there's a long pause. And honestly, the response was, well, the plan the purpose of the plan is so people use the plan. <laughs> so which, which is exactly one of the frustrating pieces of, of yeah. no, it's actually, it's actually as a vehicle to, to, to create better communities and better lives for folks. Obviously. And, yeah. and, but we do become focused on the plan. Uh, you know, we're, a, we're an ideas factory and that's the production. Yeah. So that's the product. Yeah. And uh, what uh, what I urge us all to to do is yes, the plan is plans are valuable, ultimately, uh, and how you get them has to be uh, has to be an enabling kind of thing. Um, at, but always be trying to bring everyone with you as yeah. you have to get more serious in the codification. And secondly, the plan's only the beginning. Uh, my plans now that I write. Uh, have as much implementation as they have direction. Hmm. So if I say uh, we need more housing and I see no one building housing, I'll say we need a housing corporation or we need, uh, you know, this investment or Mm -hmm. because people have gotten so accustomed to plans that just say what is needed and then no one knows how to do it and they get put on shelves that people are skeptical. And the problem we have, and I always say this to my students or young planners, that the problem we have is that when something like that happens two or three times, it makes it hard for every other planner. So every single thing you do as a planner is investing in the capacity of every other planner to do what they have to do, Hmm. right? Because we deal with a public who is either accepting or skeptical willing to engage with us or not willing to engage with us based on what they other experiences and based on what they've heard. Mm-hmm. The word gets out in your city your your, you know, your community that uh, this planning department just creates plans and then nothing happens. No one wants to talk to you. Yeah. Yeah. They have other things to fill their time. <laughs> the person who makes something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so so one last question uh, we, we want to ask um, everybody that we're talking to in the various city building professions um, is if, if you were to give some advice to a citizen out there that was interested in in making their community better, uh, what, what advice would you give on how to most effectively work with the planners in their community? Well, first, I'd give a more general piece of advice, which is uh, make city affairs your hobby Hmm. you know we all have busy lives but i always say that uh, you know if every citizen in vancouver gave 15 minutes a day to some sort of civic something Hmm. the whole city would be completely different the politics would be different the physical place would be different the organizations would be different the funding would be different everything so the idea that you should spend a moment in the, in the same way that you spend some moments 
do working on your house, you should spend a few moments every day working on your community. And, and that, that would serve everyone very well. Hmm. Having said that, I think the important thing is to, um, to tell your story as clearly as you can tell it, to find examples of things that you like, remember examples of things that you like. Don't try to think that you have to invent everything, but you know what you, you saw that you know, was thrilling for you and your family what was that? You know, you saw arrangements where you were you thought people were being, you know, um, uh, uh, respected better. What did that look like? And then share that very honestly uh, with your planner. And I, and don't think of your planner as someone that you um, you should be uh, anxious about because they might misuse your information, but rather as someone who ultimately will have an ethic of wanting to. Um, include your perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think if we can build a bit of trust that way and a bit of uh, direct um, talking that way. Um, another thing I say to everyone, particularly citizens, is try not to jump to positions too fast. Try to articulate what your need is, what, you're, what, you, what it is you're worried about. In technical terms, as you know, we, we call that try to articulate your interest. Mm-hmm. But for the average person, they may not understand what you're talking about. So, but what is your need? What, what, what is your worry? What, and, and, and what is the richness of that? Because if we can get that on the table, there are many ways to solve problems other than the one you, you've heard about, you know, uh, a counselor so-and-so says so-and-so, and I'm in favor of that. That's my yeah. position. Yeah. Instead... We find many new kinds of solutions once we start to explore people's the richness of their interests. And then on the other side, to the planners, we say the same thing. You know, open up the whole conversation about what's going on so that you can begin to understand other kinds of trade-offs. And, you know, we live in an amazing society where we have a lot of freedom. And at the level of, say, your family, you're always brokering your interests. With yeah. your partner and your kids and everything, you're doing it with your economics of your family, you know, your household budget, when you're going to buy a new car, a new bike or something. And um, and we have to learn to do that at the level of communities and cities as well, uh, rather than what we've gotten in the habit of in Canadian uh, political uh, democratic culture, which is uh, fighting positions and just see who wins and loses. Yep. The city that's created from wins and losses is a very average city. The city that's created from a brokering richly of interests is always an amazing city. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank you for that. I, I think that's a really nice way, nice way to put it and, and to, um, <clears throat> you know, to your point of moving past people's positions. So if, if someone shows up and there's a, you know, proposed, let's say this affordable housing thing I mentioned, um, it's, it, they come across as either build it or don't build it. Then the amount of possibilities are pretty narrow. If yeah. we, if we, and it's, it's keeping that, the, the, the space open for possibilities and citizens do have a role in that for sure. Well, and I'll tell you a word that I wish that our profession would edit out (laughs) and that's called NIMBYism. Yeah. Now 
not in my backyard. When I'm being a, 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 um, a technician, I get it, like get with it. You have to share and we all have to share. But we now use the word so pejoratively that if I say it once, half of the public doesn't want to talk to me anymore because they think, I think, they are the NIMBYs. Yeah. And if they use the language a lot, you are you are disabling a lot of people to tell you stuff. For sure. If on the other hand we say, those people who are acting like that, let's try to engage them to figure out why they're acting like that. Maybe we'll discover some stuff that we need to know. Yep. Yep, for sure. Together in a different way. Yep. That's my thought. Yeah. Terrific. Well, that's, uh, that's a good thought to end on. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, thanks uh, so much for taking the time. Today's perspective is one of many in city building. Every contributor has its challenges and opportunities. If you think we missed any key points about this profession, let us know. Email us at hello at 360degree.city. Stay tuned for our next episode in the series. 360 Degree City is created by our team at Intelligent Futures. To learn more about the work we do, go to intelligentfutures.ca. I'm John Lewis. Thanks for stopping by.